Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on today in a series we're doing called Naturally Supernatural. And this is all about living life um, in, in the model of, that Jesus gave us for life and ministry and, and uh, being real people and loving on people the way God would in a, in a broken and fallen world and, and all that it's about in that process. And, and we're using as the backdrop for all of this the uh, in- encounters that Jesus had with people throughout the book of John. And so we're going to look at various encounters and we're going to try and learn and glean some stuff from that uh, in order that we might walk a naturally supernatural life. Uh, before we, we get into that, though, let's do the scripture reading for today. This is John three sixteen and 17. This is out of the message paraphrase. It says this, this is how much uh, God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. And that's going to be sort of the focal part of of today's ministry. Jesus uh, came to save the world, not to condemn the world. And, and what that looks like in our lives as we live this thing out. Now, John 3.16, most of you know us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. I read it out of the paraphrase to get it started, because I like the way it says that, and, and to get the, the focus um, uh, in, a, in a manner that's encouraging, uh, because that's what the verse is all about. And that verse is important, Uh, Because it springs out of the encounter that we're going to look at today between Jesus and Nicodemus. And and see, this is good news that we're sharing with the world. We have good news. We have the best news in the world. And we need to make sure that we're able to present it to people. Not um, which, see, I think sometimes the church has gotten backwards. and, And that part that says, you know, Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn it. Somehow the church has thought we need to condemn the world. And we've, we've lost out on being involved in the saving part. We've just become condemning and critical and judgmental, and the culture turned us off. And so all the time we're looking for ways to impact the world around us with the good news. And we talk about radical generosity and radical hospitality and, and in order to present the radical message that we have in Christ. And so we do things all the time. I have a, a cute story, and then I'm going to show you a video of, of yesterday's car wash. Um, we have these things called affinity groups. Uh-oh, too early. But we're going to be recording next sermon <laughs> as well now. And it's all good. So you can relax on this one, kind of, I guess. <laughs> Technical things happen all the time, and it's okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm glad there's four. Although next one, there's a lot of pressure because we got to get it right next time. The, uh, <laughs> or not, it doesn't really matter. Um, just, you know, the reality is how many people are actually watching it anyway? You know what I'm saying? Not yet. Not very many yet. Well, good. Okay. So, um, okay, so, so we have these things called affinity groups, which are cool ways to get together for believers, you know, outside of the church and to invite other people into. And, and uh, yesterday they had the spearfishing affinity group met and they, they, had, they did great. I saw pictures. They got some fish and they had a good time. And, and uh, uh, you know, we have a basketball affinity group that meets on Tuesday nights at 730. That's a lot of fun. And there's uh, 
Uh, there's a Spanish as a second language one that meets, and uh, we do sign language. We do all sorts of stuff. Very cool. The schedule's out there. Well, last weekend, on Saturday, the kayaking group meets, and this is one of our most established affinity groups. It's been around for a long time, but it's a new quarter. You know, we just got them started again. And so some new people had signed up. So the, the kayaking affinity group had gotten together at Bay of Honda, and they knew there were some people coming they didn't know, so they were kind of hanging around waiting for them to show up. And so they're there, and sure enough, a truck pulls up, there's a kayak on it, and it's a, it's a man and his son, and uh, so the group's pretty happy to see him, you know, and uh, they don't know them, but they, they go up, and they walk up, and they help him unload the kayak off of the car, and get everything all set up, and they, they help the little boy get all together, and get his, you know, sunscreen on and everything, and then they start talking to this guy, and they find out he's never even heard of the vineyard or the affinity groups. <laughs> and I just wonder what he was thinking that whole time, don't you? These are some really friendly people. They might even be too friendly. I'm not sure. <laughs> but so it went from sort of an affinity group encounter to an act of kindness, which is all good. And, uh, and they invited him to church. He didn't come, but still, all cool. And uh, I love those kind of stories. When they found out he wasn't part of the group, they, just, they were roaring because uh, they laughed the rest of the morning. Because, you know, that's funny stuff. Anyway, uh, we also... We, we think of the importance of radical generosity, and so yesterday we did one of our $1 car washes. And $1 car wash, in case you don't know if you're a newcomer here, it's not a fundraiser, it's an outreach. We go out and we put big signs up that say $1 car wash, and people come in and we wash their cars really well and we dry them, we do a really good job. And then when it comes time for where they think they're going to pay us, we give them a dollar. And the reactions are priceless. And it's all done just to get things to change a little bit so people aren't, you know, so stuck, and, and to open them up and to bless them. And we did it yesterday. We had a great time. We have a video for you. Go ahead and run that video now, please.
So you see, all that, to me, is part of living a naturally supernatural life. This is how we impact people. Um, so that, you know, we have opportunities to tell them about Jesus and to pray for them and to stand with them and, and all the things that uh, we're going to see Jesus doing in these encounters that he has uh, throughout the book of John. And so um, the, the car washes are just a lot of fun. We've got another one scheduled for August 20th over there. There's a sign-up sheet in the back for you. If you want to come, come be a part. We have a good time. Uh, and uh, it, it, it is a, it's a great sort of ministry. Okay, so we introduced this topic last week, and I said that, you know, there's some resources we have along the way that we'll be looking at, the resource of prayer and the Word and the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be looking at, at all those things um, in the weeks ahead. And, and uh, I also said that, you know, he's called us to do what he did and that what we'll need to do that is we'll need to learn to think like he thought and to see like he saw and to serve like he served and to love like he loved. And I know I'm using past tense because I'm referring to these encounters we have. I know that Jesus is alive. So at some level, we need to think like he thinks and see like he sees and serve like he serves and love like he loves. But understand when I'm talking about it now, I'm referencing these encounters that we're going to see throughout the book of John. And um, you watch it, how he relates with people and situations, and I think we can learn a lot about what it means to be naturally supernatural, because he's our model for that kind of life. Today, we're going to look at an encounter that he has in John chapter 3, pretty famous uh, chunk of scripture, uh, and this encounter is with a man named Nicodemus. Out of this encounter, let me say that probably the best known verse, one of the top two anyway, the other one being... Psalm 23, uh, is, is John 3.16 springs out of this encounter. That's the sign you always see at sporting events and everything, John 3.16. That's the one. Came out of this encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus. And so let's hop right in, and we're going to see what we can learn um, during this encounter that he has uh, with Nicodemus. And the first point, first thing I want you to think about is this. Who do you think that you are? Now, I'm not saying who do you think you are. I'm saying, who do you think you are? And by that I mean, do you know who you are? Are you settled in, at some level, who God has called you to be and, and, and how he's created you? Are, you? are you settling in the love that he has for you? Are you settling in the, the life that he has in store for each one of us? And one of the things we're trying to do, as I said, is we're trying to think like Jesus thought. And I want to use that concept here to try and think about what must have been going on in this process and, uh, and try and think how Jesus thought in the midst of it. Now, let me, let me set it up by saying this, that Nicodemus was like the best that Israel had to offer as far as a model goes. He was a teacher, he was a Pharisee, and he was a part of the um, leading council, the Sanhedrin, that ruled everything um, in uh, Israel. And so he would have been a very well-respected, deeply religious politician who was sort of held in high esteem by his community. That's, that's where Nicodemus is at. And um, to his credit, he notices something in Jesus and he wants to go figure it out. But, but see, at some level, Nicodemus isn't really settled in who he is because even with all of those things going for him, he knows something's missing. That's, that's to his good because he's not settled in who he is. And, and the reason I know that is he wants to go talk to Jesus, and, and he goes and sees him. He sneaks in at night. 
See, he doesn't want to know, he doesn't want anybody else to know what he's doing. And the thing that I get from that is, you know, if there's something going on that you don't want anybody else to know about that you need to do under the cover of darkness, you really shouldn't be doing it. Uh, <laughs> do, do you get that's, a, that's an issue? And, and anyway, so that's part of the issue that he's not settled. And he's going to encounter Jesus, and Jesus, who trust me, does not at this moment, although he's fully God, uh, in the community's eyes, does not have the stature of someone named Nicodemus. He's often referred to as, oh, you mean the carpenter's son and dismissed in all sorts of ways. But Jesus is fully aware of who he is and where he's going, the scripture tells us. And so he's very settled in this whole process. Uh, Nicodemus comes in, John 3, 1 and 2, and he says this, uh, this happens. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now, here's Nicodemus, and I think that, you know, that, again, it doesn't really compute to me. Someone has to sneak in at night to see Jesus, and now he's got all these really flowery sort of compliments for him. Oh, we know you're a teacher. You must come from God and all these things. Um, but Jesus really isn't buying any of it. Because Jesus knows who he is. And see, the important thing here is if you know who you are, other people can't define you. And that's really important. See, I have this concept. And see, see if this works. Um, first, first part of it would be that, that life is filled with challenging people. Would you agree? And interesting encounters with those very same people. And that this is a part of life. And, and so how we deal with that has a lot to do with what we're thinking about uh, in the process and, and how settled we are and who we are. Um, because, see, God can use these encounters, and he often does, if, if we're willing to be sort of settled in it and not get stuck in the, um, the what about me mindset. See, when, whenever we deal with someone else, if our immediate reaction is what about me, then, then we really aren't looking at well, what about him, because that's what is most important. So we have to be settled in who we are. When we're settled in who we are and we know whose we are, you know, you're a child of the king. You're a follower of Jesus. You're, you're broken, but you're living by trying to do the next right thing. That's a, that's a big deal to know that in your life. And, and you're not claiming to be perfect, but you, you, you know who you are. And you're, you're trying to move in that direction. When you're settled in that, when someone comes in, even if they seem to be like a person of very high stature or prominence or whatever, see, if you know who you are, they can't rattle you. They can't intimidate you. They can't manipulate you. They can't guilt you. They can't get you to compromise what you know to be true. See, all that comes from being settled in who you are. And that's a very important thing. It's not, at the moment, it's really not about you. It's about him because you're his. And I think that's what's really going on in this entire encounter. And so when you're settled in who you are and whose you are, um, you can be less defensive and, and, and less sort of pushed around in these things. And you can really kind of see what God's up to in the process, how God might be able to use it. And so, uh, and, and just let me throw in this little caveat too. Um, do, do you know when, when you get into an encounter, you don't always have to prove that you're right? So sometimes we get stuck thinking that we got to prove that we're right. There's one of two things. Either you're not right, which is okay because maybe you need to learn that you're not right. Or you are right, and you don't have to prove it, because you're just pretty settled in the fact that you're, I think I'm right. But you don't have to be arrogant in it. You just don't have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with people in the process. 
And so, uh, because there's a way to turn that around. And what Jesus does is he do that. He, Jesus saw this whole thing, point number two, as an opportunity to speak the truth in love to Nicodemus. See, that's what Jesus sees. Because no sooner does Nicodemus get this flowery little sort of compliment out when, when Jesus hops right into the conversation. I love it. And he says this in John 3, 3 through 6, in reply, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus goes, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Now what you need to see here is that Jesus is telling a deeply religious, very important politician that what he's been doing his whole life isn't enough. That, that his works and his stature are not enough to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. See, see unless we repent and come to Christ, our works and, and everything else that we do aren't enough. They don't count. We can never be good enough in our own strength. You can't make it that way. It's only by coming to Christ that we can enter into the kingdom. It's only in that process of being born again is what that verse means. It's a spiritual birth, a new birth in Christ into the kingdom. You can't get there. And so it's not about our works, our power, our position. It's about his work of grace. Now, another thing you need to note here in that whole concept is that Nicodemus came to Jesus. So Nicodemus saw something in Jesus that he was responding to, and he wanted to know where Jesus was coming from. That allowed Jesus then to speak into Nicodemus. And, and what Jesus is doing here is he's loving Nicodemus very well. Because he's loving this, this man who really is part of the council who's trying to ultimately will arrest and kill him. He's saying to him, Nicodemus, in, in his kind of way as I know he knows how to challenge him, you, you, you're missing the point. See, Jesus came to, for everyone. And he, he said the point is about grace. It's not about works. And he, he goes on in that encounter. He says, you're Israel's teacher. How come you don't know this? Because grace is not a New Testament concept alone. It's an Old Testament concept. And yet the people of the religious community had turned their backs on grace, and they'd become a people of rules and regulation. And what they'd done in the process was made it impossible for people to get to God. They couldn't even get to him. That's what Jesus came to do, to fix, to change. But he had to introduce these concepts. And he's really loving Nicodemus here to challenge him like this. He's speaking the truth in love. He's telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, look, you, you need to know about grace. You need to go and study about what grace is. And, and you need to walk from there and learn what it's all about. And, and so Nicodemus came to Jesus because he saw something in his life. One of the things I always talk about here is, see, we've got to live this life by trying to do the next right thing so that, that that's what ultimately will allow us to love people with the message. Um, uh, with a radical message that we have of the good news. See, if you just try and, and speak into people that you have no relationship with at all, that don't know you at all, they're not going to listen. So, so there has to be something there, and that's why we, we do all the things that we do. We're, we're trying to love people through, through the things that we can, just uh, very similar to what Jesus was doing. He was trying to love Nicodemus into the kingdom by getting him to see that he can't make it in his own righteousness. So that was that part of the context. Now, Another thing you need to see, and what we need to be, is we need to be an encourager. We need to be encouragers. Part of being naturally supernatural is that we're encouraging. 
That's why we have a ministry of encouragement. That's why I'm encouraging you all the time to encourage two people. I'm saying encouraging a lot here in a very short period of time. See, the, that verse, John 3, 16 and 17, is extremely encouraging if you, if you get the whole deal. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Do you see how encouraging that statement is? Sometimes I think that the, the church, we flipped it and it became this condemning message. And I don't think people respond to it. They turn it out. Um, that the paraphrase verse of that said he didn't come to point the finger. Why did we pick up the ministry of pointing the finger? You're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. That's not good news. Uh, let me submit something else to you. People already know it. Don't you, do, do you know that you're a mess? I'm one. I'm just, do you get it, that you're all a mess? If you don't think you're a mess, come see me after the service. <laughs> and as one broken person loving another broken person, we can get to your mess pretty quickly. Because I got it all. Oh, you can't fool me. We're, we're a mess. We, and, we, and, and people know they're a mess. I don't, you know, people try and pretend that. So, and you get the spectrum of people. Right now, he's dealing with a deeply religious person who doesn't get it because of the law. Uh, and next week, we're going to see him deal with a woman at the well who's on the complete other end of this spectrum who doesn't get it. And he'll minister to her in a different way. Uh, but right now, he's ministering to Nicodemus. He's loving Nicodemus by introducing this concept of grace to him. But he's being very encouraging. He's saying, look, God, you've got it messed up. You, you, you're just condemning everyone, and, and you're condemned in the process. But God loves people, and he wants to love them into relationship, and, and by his grace, that's what it's all about. And Nick, he loves you too. And see, Jesus is serving in this way. Ultimately, Jesus is the model for serving because of the cross and what he's done. But here he's taking this time to, to virtually connect with someone who, whose group is out to get him, to let him know that there's a way, and it's by grace. See, the good news coming from Jesus is good news. And, and my challenge to you is this, if when you get a chance to share Jesus with someone, if they don't receive it as good news, we're probably not doing it right. If it's bad news, there's something wrong in us, because we've probably moved the switch over to condemn instead of that he wants to save. See, we need to be encouraging. So that's what we're trying to do. That's why we're always saying, look, to get one more, we got to be an encouragement to the world. And let's start by being thankful every day for five things ourselves so we get our attitudes right and then encourage two people along the way because the world's desperate to be encouraged. And it's one of the ways that we serve like Jesus served. We need to be an encouragement to the people around us. And so this whole, the John 3.16 is extremely encouraging, and we need to make sure we pick up that part of the ministry. Jesus was offering the hope of life to Nicodemus by sharing with him the concepts of grace that he should have known, but he'd walked away from. And he was saying, look, rules and regulations don't work. Again, the challenge always to the church is not get stuck in rules and regulations. The moment we do, we're done. The moment it becomes about rules and regulations for us, we're done. Because we'll just continually shrink in and we'll get more and more legalistic and we'll become as ineffective as the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the days of Jesus. So we live this life out the best that we can, being as real as we can before them, broken people, embracing 
and recognizing our own brokenness and getting to Jesus to get healed enough that we can help other people embrace and recognize their own brokenness so they can get to Jesus and get healed enough to help other broken people. And on and on and on it goes. And that's the process that we live in. Our hope is to share this good news. Always, fourth point, looking for the beauty of potential. We'll talk about this a lot because we have to make a radical shift to get this as part of our lives. You've got to challenge yourself that when you look at people, that the moment you catch yourself labeling them, that you stop because you're just being judgmental. Don't label them. Because the moment you label someone, you treat them differently. And Jesus didn't do it. He always looked at people and saw the beauty of their potential. And it's exactly what he does with Nicodemus. I love this. Now, here's, again, here's this guy. You could think so many different things about Nicodemus, but, but here's ultimately sort of part of the enemy, you know, that's after Jesus. And yet when Jesus sees him, he sees the beauty of his potential. And he's trying to love him into the kingdom by sharing the truth with him. And he tells this part of the story. Part of this, John 3, I know is, is pointed right back at Nicodemus, but he's done, done in love because of Nicodemus sneaking in at night. John 3, 20 and 21, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Now, I believe that what's happened is that Nicodemus in Jesus was being drawn into the light. And I believe that he steps into it because of two other encounters in the book of John that Nicodemus gets mentioned in. Pretty interestingly, if you haven't, if you haven't seen these before. Four chapters later, the Sanhedrin is hard after Jesus trying to arrest him. And in verse 50 and 51, uh, this takes place, chapter 7. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? See, Nicodemus sticks his neck out for Jesus. And he catches some flack for it, too. If you go and read the chapter, you'll see that the other guys didn't like it. And yet, little, little step into the whole process of defending. But, but here's the, the big one. It's in John 19, right after the crucifixion. All of Jesus' disciples are gone, pretty much. A few hanging out at the cross. Some of the ladies were there. John might have been around. Everybody taken off. And Jesus dies, pretty much alone. Do you know who gets his body at the end? Two guys. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. John 19, 39, 40. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So I'm, I'm amazed at this, because that's fairly public. From someone who had snuck in at night, not want anyone to see him with Jesus, he's one of the two guys willing to take the body of our Lord and to prepare it. Just something to me about that moment, that there was someone there. And, you know, how amazing it was Nicodemus. But see, that's Jesus seeing the beauty of potential in people 
and loving him through and not chasing him away so that he steps into the light like that. See, that's what we're called to. That's what a naturally supernatural life looks like. It's, it's in oftentimes very subtle things. Don't get me wrong. We're going to look at some of the things Jesus does which are less than subtle in the way that he relates. But in this instance, this process of moving people into the light is what we're called to, and it's a byproduct of being naturally supernatural. We'll pick up a new encounter next week in John 4. Amen? Ministry teams, those of you here, would you guys head over to that wall over there? The people heading over there, they're here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything today, but let me pray for you as a group this morning.